The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 81. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the 10th Doctor, David Tennant story, Love and Monsters. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Don. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So if, uh, I just want to take a second before we get into the to the discussing Doctor Who, uh, just to let folks know, if you like Secrets of Doctor Who, please check out our other podcasts, especially Secrets of Movies and TV Shows, where we, we kind of discuss a whole more, a broader range of topics. Uh, recently, we talked about Netflix's Lost in Space, the, the new uh, remake of that. Uh, we, we talked about the TV show The Good Place. We had a two part on that. That was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, very recently, uh, we t- we're talking about the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which uh, is fun, kind of going back a ways to my childhood, um, but still a great movie with lots of actually great um, s- deeper layers and hidden meanings that uh, that uh, I think our audience would especially love. So if you're interested in that, go find it at sqpn.com slash secrets, and you can subscribe there and check out all our podcasts. So uh, Love and Monsters. We we kind of uh uh what do we we kind of talked teased it down it. Yeah, yeah teased it last time as in boy this is a bad one <laughs> but yeah. uh, hopefully that they'll make this a fun podcast to uh, to listen to because I think we're in all, all in agreement that this was not one of the best episodes no um, we're, we're in agreement I, on oh go ahead father I was gonna say you know in, in my opinion at least it, it was not a good one to by any stretch as, as I said kind of the tail end of the last podcast about the only thing good about it is the music from electric electric light orchestra mm-hmm. i was literally gonna band say that, that i love which is a band <laughs> i love it's one of those it's one of those bands that you know it comes on the radio and you crank it up you know and that's about the only thing i liked about it yeah <laughs> by the way tip pro tip for for uh music listeners elo's album time is surprisingly uh good and also yes. relevant to the theme of this podcast there you go. Time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, so, I so, so one thing, one thing that may make this podcast a little more interesting for folks is we may have some disagreement here because I remembered Love and Monsters. I, I think I'd watched it may, once, maybe twice, but years and years ago, like a decade mm-hmm. ago. And so I didn't remember it very well, except for the horrible monster. And, right. um, and so I was actually surprised at how good it is until the monster is revealed, which doesn't occur for 32 minutes into it. And I, mm. I tried to watch it, which was since I hadn't seen it in so long, this was easier. But I tried to kind of watch it with fresh eyes and ignore the fact that I knew this terrible monster was coming and yeah. and just say, how would I have reacted to this not knowing that? And mm. actually, I there were I have some criticisms of the first 32 minutes. But basically, the first two thirds of this are fine. I would I found them enjoyable. Um, so you know, I, I we're definitely in agreement that this is not one of the best because after the thirty-two minute mark, it right. falls off a cliff repeatedly. <laughs> um, but up to that point, it I think it's actually fun. Well, I, you know, I will say, you know, when you talk about the monster, what my my feeling of the monster, kind of my reaction was. This was their attempt to do a Douglas Adams creature and failing miserably. Well, let me give you a little of the background on this episode, and that'll explain yeah. why the monster was so bad why, the way it is. Yeah. yeah. So um, the monster was part of a contest from on the Blue- TV show Blue Peter, which yeah. was a kid. It's a kid show in, in, in Great Britain. That um, has a long running relationship with Doctor. I think it's been running right. at least as long, if not longer than Doctor Who. Right, right. And the, and the connections across network connections have been there. Uh, and it was invented by a nine year old boy named William Grantham. And uh, the, the, the monster. 
Yes. Yeah. A very a great British name. Uh, and um, isn't it Lord Grantham from? I don't, I've never watched it, but the uh, oh, the, Dalton, Abbey. Dalton Abbey. Yeah. Dalton Abbey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just know the name because my wife watched it. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't watch it because I'm a you know. Oh, it's mind. fine. <laughs> I had it's to, upstairs, uh, downstairs with higher budget. Yes, exactly, exactly. I was trying to my manly credentials, but frankly, actually, I know a lot of uh, real men that watch it, so but just not my yep. speed. Anyway, um, but the monster is was supposed like the, the boy was saying the the monster was supposed to be like the size of a building, um, mm, but it, yeah, but it was designed to absorb things and absorb off was the thing, um, and I think because they like had this monster that this kid invented as part, you know, for the show, they kind of got themselves kind of stuck in a box in a well yeah so to speak excuse the pun but they kind of box themselves in with this monster that just didn't work yeah you know and it's interesting from a writing perspective now this episode was written by russell t davies the show's regenerator i guess you could say <laughs> and um and he's a good writer I mean, he's not perfect, but he's a good writer. And so you yep. would you would think, well, how would something be, end up having this poor of a reputation? And it's because of the monster designed by a nine-year-old. I don't know why they do the things like that. This is not the first kids contest nope. that has, has done stuff with Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, I, I guess they're doing it for publicity value, but mm -hmm. I, I, I think it, it subtracts more than it adds. Um, right. and well, in this I case, mean, in this case, because and I think even though Russell T. Davies has said complimentary things about the monster, um, because he has to, you can't say, <laughs> oh, this kid gave, won a contest and gave us a rubbish monster we had to work with. Um, you know, that kind of defeats the purpose of having the contest. Yeah. So, so, but he knew that, that the monster is weak. I think, even though he won't admit it. And so he did a couple of things in the writing that are very interesting. The first is he delayed revealing the monster as long as possible. Um, the So it, it can be there to offend the audience for less time. The other thing <laughs> is... Um, Thank you, in, Russell. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, in writing, uh, in, in, in cinematic and television writing... There are what are known as high concept stories versus character driven stories. A high concept story is where the plot is really driving things, where you have some really interesting, intricate plot and the characters are kind of secondary. Well, in this case, the they knew they had a weak concept. The monster is going to be rubbish. And so they therefore what Russell T. Davies did is he gave us a character driven story for the vast majority of this episode. And so we get to meet these interesting, quirky characters. And we really for new who dig where time is at a premium. We dig down pretty deep into their lives and their backstories and their psychology. And so for the first two thirds of it. What we're really getting is a character-driven story, not a plot-driven story, about these quirky characters. And, and I think that part of it works. It's just when the monster shows up, it just plummets in quality. I mean, mm. admittedly, I'm not a, a writer by any stretch of the imagination. The most I write are my weekly homilies. Um, but always put a good car chase in those. Oh, I try to. <laughs> especially if I'm in a car for that. But anyways, um, I, I feel like the, the writers – they, they Knowing the limitations yet with the the the, the youth uh, competition and everything, I still think they could have done made it a little more palatable. There was still some. It's yeah, almost some like elements. once once the creature came out, they went out of their way to make it as irritating as possible beyond what the kid. And of course, not knowing, it's not like we can go look at what his actual suggestion was. You know, what kind of accent it should have, what kind of you know, how should it. You know, all I, those. I, I think his contribution was limited to a drawing, exactly, which you, which you can and, see online. Yeah, yeah, and see, and, that's, and, and that's also the, the fact that it absorbs people. I think was yeah. the, the. And yeah. I mean, and that's that the part that absorbs people isn't exactly you know, offensive. I mean, that's that's been kind of a sci-fi trope for a while too. Although the it's way just, they did it was. To have one of the characters be in his butt, you know. Yeah, you know, that's it's that kind of it, it's, it was that be kind of thing that it's butt. like it was right. uh, it was just they could have made it a lot less annoying. 
and it would yeah. I, they could have they could have salvaged well, that part of it. I, I I have to admit I I wasn't a fan of the first half of it either of the episode either though. So I I found Elton yeah. to be a little too annoying in his own right. I liked Elton enough, although he's a bit dim, you know. Uh, but what what really bugged me, I mean, but after the monster, which I which we I think we all agree we didn't like. What really bugged me was this the sort of the way that it kind of took these sweet people and mm-hmm. sort of destroyed them. They had this mm-hmm. the nice people with this nice life, and it just kind of gets destroyed. And it's very sad. And I'm like, I, I'm sad yeah. at the end of this end of this episode. <laughs> it's it's and, really kind of a terrible ending. Yeah. yeah. I have a number of criticisms of the ending. But before we get there, why don't we talk about the first uh, part of the story yeah. before well, it all goes off the cliff? There's two more background bits I just want to say before we get mm-hmm. into it. One related to... Um, uh, the as we were talking about, like the the, the high concept uh, idea, which is it's also the first and only episode told entirely from the point of view of the doctor's bystanders. So it's not told from the doctor's point of view. It's right. only told from the point of view right. of, uh, I de- like there are other episodes where bystanders have a or, or the the non doctor has uh, doctors have uh, important roles like blink. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say, actually, you said first and only, and I would disagree with the only because Blink, the he doctor, a was a secondary character. Yeah. It was all written from bystanders' perspective. Yeah. yeah. Although, uh, the, I mean, the doctor. Through video. I has, mean, the doctor is in video for most of it. But well, but he has more to do in that than this, doesn't he? Not no. really. No. Okay. He, all right. he, he He's just, only I in mean, person. He's, he, He's only in person at the end when they hand the script to him. Right. And other right. than that, it's him reading stuff on video and then the bystanders have to execute the plan. Right. I think the doctor's in this is in this even less apart yeah. from that first the, the, the opening scene where they're, run, they're doing the Scooby Doo through the corridors. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh the very end um and then the flashback a, to Elton's the, house. Right. Yep. So and the reason one of the reasons they did this was they they wanted to have a 14th episode of this season. Correct. And so while they were filming this, they were simultaneously filming the Christmas episode with Donna Noble, the runaway bride. Right. And that's and, that's that's common in, in TV production. You know, there yeah. we've talked before about uh, the first doctor where uh, they had two whole episodes that the first doctor wasn't there because he was on vacation. Right. And 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 or like uh, lots of TV shows do clip shows. They'll do one like clip show a season where oh, yes. oh we're doing all flashbacks and it's a way of doing of you which know. this kind of started with yeah sort uh, of. so <laughs> uh, apparently Russell D Davies liked this so much that they incorporated um, these double banked like Doctor Light or Companion Light episodes mm-hmm. uh, in all of his seasons after that so um, and, and then there's, uh, and they worked that gave us blink. Yeah, Blink right. is considered one and, of the best, and, I, which I agree and, with, one of the best episodes yeah. of New Who. And Midnight, which is an, yes. another totally awesome one, yes. which is a yes. companion light episode. Yes, yep. exactly. Um, so it, I have to say this episode does kind of remind me of the first episode of New Who, Rose, mm-hmm. where um, a, a a good portion of the of the beginning of that is Rose observing the doctor from a distance yep. and yeah. Clive. You remember the Clive is the guy who mm-hmm. did, who introduced her to the pictures of the doctor throughout throughout history yep. of the, the the ninth doctor throughout history. Um, so I did get a, a, a sort of a vibe from that uh, as well. Um, and then just like some, uh, I just want to point out the like a little bit about the different about some of the actors, especially mm-hmm. the one, um, the the actress who played Ursula. Um, oh, I, I didn't write down her name, but she is okay. Ursula is Shirley, Shirley. Henderson. Yep. Yeah, Shirley. Sorry, you Shirley Henderson. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you might recognize her, which I I did not and had to go look her up. Uh, I knew I knew her from somewhere. Moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter. Uh, oh, that's she's funny. The, the ghost in the uh, in the in the washroom uh, in Harry Potter. That's where I, she has that distinctive voice uh, that uh, that she does. Mm. Um, 
But anyway, so it's it's a story from the point of view of the people whose lives cross with the doctor in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we only see, and we see it from their point of view, and it's sort of the idea of like the doctor is always running around, and these things are crazy things are happening around him. People must see it. So what happens to those people? And so they're sort of they're sort of like UFO nuts. Uh, they're uh, uh, you know abductee uh, clubs uh, mm-hmm. or you know people who try to track down. Uh, the the UFO phenomena, and that's kind of what this is. And you've got this group of people, misfits, miss exactly misfits. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Mister Skinner. Uh, I'm not sure what his deal was. Uh, I forget exactly what brought him to the group. But you have Bridget, whose daughter went missing in London because she's a drug addict. But but this has sort of become her way of f- you know finding have- something. Yeah. yeah, of having an excuse to come down on weekends and look for her daughter. Right. And this, she lives this is kind of an excuse. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and eventually, though, this group, even though they're brought together by the doctor, by their interest in the doctor, they end up becoming a group of friends. And we have right. this psychological journey that they go through and we start to see them, right. you know, step by step forming relationships as a group and then as pairs Mm-hmm. And uh, and and it's it's neat to see. I mean, we all, you know, uh, <clears throat> folks who listen to podcasts about science fiction, you know, we're all kind of misfits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> People and who make podcasts and, about science fiction. Yeah. And well, I would that's I was principally thinking of us. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's nice to see mits, misfits, you know, f- having a life and, and bonding mm-hmm. and 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 having that kind of interpersonal success. That's great. Um, as you mentioned, uh, ELO's music is a prominent theme in this episode and that's mm-hmm. neat. And there's mm-hmm. just a lot of nice little touches. Um, well, even with the opening, I was surprised at how dramatic the opening of the episode right. is, um, yeah. where we have, uh, Elton, you know, it's, it's like he's vlogging. They didn't have that word in 2005, but he's making a video blog basically. Right. And he's talking yep. directly to the camera and he's using some uh, dramatic presentation methods where he's showing us events out of order for dramatic mm-hmm. effect, which is nice. And then we get the encounter with Rose and the doctor and the alien, and it's funny. And they have the Scooby-Doo running through yep. ha- different doors in the same hallway sequence. And all of that's all of that's really cool, um, where I think it starts to go south a little bit is when they introduce Mr. Kennedy, who will eventually Mm -hmm. be revealed as the monster. And he's unlikable. Uh, He refocuses the group's efforts on finding the doctor. And they admit he's his methods are more efficient than what they'd become because they'd basically become a group of friends that wasn't hunting for the doctor anymore. Um, But in order to set him up as the monster, Mr. Kennedy needs to come across or or they decided he needs to come across as unsympathetic. And Mm -hmm. and he's so unsympathetic that I find myself I find his presence on screen taking down my enjoyment level. I was Mm -hmm. having more fun watching the quirky misfits being friends. Um, So I don't I don't like Mr. Kennedy that much. I like individual things that he says, like he kind of has a Freudian slip at one point where uh, Ursula starts to give him some back talk and he says, Ursula Blake, most likely to fight back. And it's like right. he's accidentally let a line slip from his tactical analysis of these yep, characters. Exactly. Right. Um, I also like how because he's an alien, he doesn't know how to pronounce eczema and he keeps pronouncing <laughs> it eczema. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. That's nice. Um, yeah. And then eventually we get around because of Mr. Kennedy's efforts to focus the group on the doctor. They end up finding Jackie. Well, and, and I love this, the, the play on the trope, by the way, in this this thing where they're they know that they have to find Rose because they have a picture of her with the doctor. And so yeah, they go out into the city of 10 million people to find this one girl. And yep. it's like, oh, it'll be impossible. It's terrible. How do you find one girl? The millionth? And the first woman he talks to says, oh, that's Rose Tyler. She lives over there with yeah, her mother. Just happens to walk right into the marketplace. And there it is. And there she <laughs> yeah. is. Oh, she's just right there. 
that was a funny play on that trope. And then when he goes into the uh, laundromat, you know, he sees Jackie, goes into mm-hmm. the laundromat, and he has like all of these things he's supposed to do in order to ingratiate himself. And she does it for him. Like she's yeah. like, it, that, it, it was just so funny. Like that, that was actually pretty funny. Th- that conversation is awesome. He's got like five steps in the plan and he <laughs> rather than him doing any of them jackie takes the initiative on every single point in sequence right <laughs> it was it was pretty funny that was that was pretty good um i, I didn't like I, it's interesting so we've talked a lot about the way they portray jackie and once mm-hmm. again they portray poor jackie as you know the cougar the mm-hmm. the the hot to trot old you know a middle-aged uh, woman um, who throwing herself at this younger man and, and then is upset at, at, at being used. And uh, I like the Jackie later on when she's mad at him for, you know, that, you know, right. using her to get to Rose. Um, but it, I don't like when they, the way they start with her. And I just, I just don't feel like Russell T Davies ever treats Jackie well. And it's, and it, it annoys me. I'm, I'm, it does. I don't like that. Um, so, I've, but I, I think she comes off well about, uh, by the mm-hmm. end. I I thought, you know, I thought I thought this portrayal of Jackie was more sympathetic than what we usually have gotten. Right. Um, yeah. she, she is a cougar. She she is um, deliberately getting Elton over to her apartment because she thinks he's attractive. And I like how Elton is clueless about that. He's coming <laughs> yes. over doing all these handyman tasks and he thinks <laughs> in his narration, it's like that apartment was jinxed. Yes, yeah. we, right. we understand Jackie's been deliberately breaking stuff to have him yep. come over and fix it. Right. Um, and and then she gets to the point she's not ju- he's not just eye candy for her. She decides she wants to seduce him, and and he gets on board with that. And right. then we have this first of several emotional pivots. Because yep. Jackie has just gotten a call from Rose over the superphone, and mm-hmm. it's brought home to her again the reality that her daughter is out there and separated from her and may be in danger, and there's nothing she can do about it. And and that kills her interest in Elton, because he's like this fantasy boy for her, and she's just been crashed down back into reality by the call from Rose. Right. And that's a really interesting emotional pivot. And it causes Elton to pivot, too, because up to now, he's been just using her to try to find mm-hmm. Rose. And he sees the vulnerability of this woman and he pivots emotionally and decides, I just need to be friends with this woman. I'm going to get her a pizza and and we're just going to spend the evening together watching television and we're going to have a good time and I'm going to cheer her up. And then I'm going to go to the person I'm really interested in, Ursula, and finally step out on a limb and ask her for a date. And so so Elton has just had this moment of emotional maturing, which is the second really interesting pivot. And then when he's coming back with the pizza, Rose, I mean, Jackie has found a photo of Rose in his pocket because she was going to slip in $10 to pay him for the pizza in the pocket of his jacket. And she's found this picture of Rose. She realizes he's using him and now she's furious at being used. And that's yet another really interesting pivot, which which produces another one in Elton, because he realizes we have been just using Jackie and mistreating her for our own curiosity goals about the doctor. We don't have any pressing need to find him. We're just curious. And we've invaded this woman's home and inveigled her into a romantic relationship that lasted 15 seconds. And 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 when Elton goes back to talk to the rest of Linda, that's their group. Um He's like adamant to Mr. Kennedy that 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 uh, that Jackie is right. And this is shameful. We've used that woman. And I just find that cascade of emotional pivots really interesting. I really like that. Yeah, that realization in Elton kind of gives him a backbone against Mr. Kennedy. I mean, he's a classic, you know, in in a sense, bully who comes into this this group of sort of mostly meek, mild mannered people. Mm -hmm. And he sort of bullies them, takes over and bullies them. Like, like most normal people would be like, "Who are you? Like, what, exactly. come in here and and tell us what to do." But he sort of blusters in, and he, he's got he's got um 
Authority. He's also got Torchwood files. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, yes. Uh, he's got the files from Torchwood. That's on the Doctor. Uh, we, that and, never and, gets explained. And but. they mention they mention that um, the information on Rose from those files has been deleted by the Bad Wolf virus. Yep. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. So the, we, get, we get a Bad Wolf mention. Um, and Supposedly so, Harold Saxton got mentioned, but I missed it. Uh, according I missed to that first too. Wikia, it says that he was mentioned. I don't remember hearing it. I yeah, don't either. I, I I I didn't search the uh the the online transcript of the of the episode so I don't didn't see it but then maybe there might might have been an oblique reference but mm-hmm. it had it to go would, by yeah. really fast. We had yeah. Mr. Saxon is the season art for the next season, the third right. season. Uh, right. They also have an allusion to to the fourth season season arc as well. So um yeah. So this this episode unusually has mentions of all four of the major season arcs, allegedly counting Mr. Saxon. Right. By the um, way, a couple of yeah. a couple of notes on this part of the episode. Um, so and they actually used this word earlier, but um, it comes up during the Jackie sequence for American listeners in England. The word mate means friend, friend. not right. what we would mean by mate. Yeah, um, we're just so, mates. Yeah, we're just mates. So when he when Elton is saying, you know, he and Jackie can be proper mates, or he and Ursula can be proper mates, that's not romantic. Yes. Um, yes. Also, I like in the ELO soundtrack. Once Elton has had his first realization and goes for the pizza, and he's had this moment of emotional maturity in the ELO song that covers that montage. The line we hear is "Welcome to the human race." Mm-hmm. Right, and I, right. I thought that was really appropriate. There were a couple I, really good uh, musical ties. Yeah, I also liked when Jackie blows up at him. She's talking about the consequences for the people who are left behind when the doctor runs off with someone as a companion, and that little window into her world. I mean, we've seen through that window before, but this was a particularly poignant moment where you know you have where we're invited to think about all the things that she has to deal with emotionally because her daughter just split and went on this dangerous adventure with this unknown man. So, uh, speaking of Elton, I I kind of, I like, I kind of like Elton as a character. Like I said, he's, he's sort of dim, but likable. Um, he, he's a sort of regular bloke. He likes football or soccer is for Americans drinking. He, he, he lists them. He likes football, drinking, going to Spain, and ELO. And that sort of describes like every British blue collar guy. Uh, Except maybe <laughs> out the there. going to Spain part. No, actually, that's a very popular British, uh, like uh, mm-hmm. middle class uh, vacation idea. That go, For like blue if you go, guys? okay. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like if you go to southern Spain at certain times of the year, it's all like like just br- British folk. I mean, it's. I think for some people, it's sort of aspirational, but mm-hmm. it's like it's like. Like people from New York and Boston and the Northeast going to Miami for yeah, vacation. I was gonna say it, it's about as cheap as you know, especially with like the low cost air airlines they have over there in Europe. It's, yeah, it's cheap to fly anywhere like that. It's like Poland Jersey guys going to South thing. Beach. Yeah, Poland yeah. is kind of the same thing. So okay, yeah. So it's so so he's sort of a regular guy. Then you have Ursula. Who um, she has a blog, which I, I love that because that's back when blogs were still the thing. Before social media was big, um, and blogs are near blogs are my coming heart. back. Yes, they are. <laughs> I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, so we have this montage early on of Elton. He was he was there when the Autons came to life in Rose, that the first episode. He was there for the Slovene crashing into Big Ben. He was there for the Christmas invasion. Uh, so, like these are the moments, like the, these Doctor moments that were really kind of got him going on this quest and made him remember. You know, when he was a kid coming downstairs in his house and finding the doctor, the 10th doctor, uh, standing in his living room uh, as you know, when he was a child. By the way, Russell T. Davies has said that originally he planned to include uh, memories of classic who events that would have occurred in Elton's lifetime, like the Loch Ness mm-hmm. Monster incident from uh, uh, Terror of the Zygons. Hmm. OK, yeah, I think I remember seeing something, something about that. Um, they must have cut it for time, uh, but uh, uh, and then um, 
Elton and Ursula are mates, at least as far as he he knows. Although it's pretty clear that Ursula likes him early on. That she and has is, a thing yeah, for him. part of why she stands up for him to Mister Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like that she's a spitfire. She really I, I like her uh, as fun. <laughs> uh, I have to say, the whole thing with Mister Kennedy, like asking people to you know to see him alone as everyone else was leaving, like when he, the first time he does that with Bliss, it's so creepy. Like mm-hmm. in, in sort of like a creepy, her, like sexual harassment way. And I was right. very uncomfortable watching it. It was, ugh. of course, we're watching. I mean, this is 2018 when we're recording. So that's right. like, you know, 12 11 years, years and yeah. lots of scandals later. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think in 2007, that's still yeah. really creepy. But, yeah. but oh, yeah. I know what you're saying. It was still was creepy uh, regardless how you look at it. But I think that was kind of the point. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, what? I didn't. I, I mean, I can certainly see that vibe, but I, personally, I didn't get it just because I was aware that he's going to turn into the monster and eat her as soon as yeah. everyone else yeah. is out of the way. Yep. Uh, by the way, Linda, that was the name of their group, which is an acronym for London Investigation N Detective Agency. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's actually and, Davies plagiarized himself but yes. from a, a kid show he'd made where where it was Liverpool investigation in the de, in detective agency. So, oh, that's uh, the, the, so that was where that was from. Um, <clears throat> so, so I guess I think we're up to the point where the reveal happens and everything yeah. starts to go disastrously wrong. Yeah, the absorbaloff. Um, yeah. So I this did, is Mr. Skinner gets gets no, absorbed, and that's when they they actually she um Ursula had forgotten her phone, and they went to go get it, and they found the absorbalov in his natural state, having just absorbed uh, Mr. Skinner. Mr. Mr. Skinner, yeah, yeah. Um, so what were you gonna say, Jimmy, about that? Well, I like one thing I did like is the fact that the monster doesn't have a name, and mm-hmm. and and. Uh, independently elton and and the doctor try out several different names based on the fact it absorbs people and the one that the monster likes is absorbaloff and they both come up with that independently and i thought that was cute right right also it's interesting rose once rose shows up uh notes that there's some because this is the only the other totally disgusting russell t davies monster we've seen are the slitheen Yes. And and this is a little similar to them. It's certainly similar on the disgusting scale. Yep. And um, and Rose makes a comment to the doctor about it. it looks a little bit like the Slovene. And the doctor asks if it's um, if it's from uh which is the Slovene's <laughs> home planet. And it says, no, I'm from the twin planet. And after after the polysyllabic name of the primary planet, the doctor says, well, what's the twin planet? And he says, Klom, (laughs) single monosyllabic planet. And that's a reference to the fourth season arc where the Klom and other celestial bodies like the lost moon of Poosh vanish. Right. um, so, so that's something we hear about again in the future. And I like I like that. I like the clom bit, but I hated almost everything else here. Well, I also like the fact that when the doctor and Rose materialize at the last minute to save Elton, it's they're here because of Elton, because Rose has heard from Jackie and wants to give Elton a piece of her mind. And that's the reason they showed up. <laughs> and, and the doctor's pretty ticked off too, on her behalf. I, I did like that where Elton's, you know, he's, he's there on the ground. He knows he's about to get absorbed. The TARDIS appears. They come out and he's like, you're having a go at me when there's this guy standing here. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. what's so going on here? Part of their day. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the, the, the thing what was it? one of the, one of the, the things that bugs me is, is that Russell T Davies, I mean, I'm, I think, you know, I'm a dad. I think a fart joke is as funny as the next dad, but it seems to rely on that an awful lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, the absorbable off, you know, was when bliss is on his rear end and he, he passes gas as he's letting her talk. And you know, the, the Slovene were all about the, you know, passing gas. And it's like, it just, it's so juvenile, you know, it's just, and, and the whole, the whole reason that absorbable off is there is so, it, it's so thin. It's, Oh, well, it, it's heard of the doctor and thinks it'll be a delicious feast. 
because yep. of his long life or something. And, and experiences that he gets to absorb. Yeah. There's a, like a telepathic right. consumption too here. Right. But we don't yep. even get much of that. It's sort of, it's sort of tossed off in a set in a line or two. And it, it just, it just is, it's weak. It, it doesn't, yeah. you know, um, because it's not about it. This, this episode is not about any of that. It's just, we need to show this creature. Yeah. And the way the creature is portrayed is, I mean, it's ugly by design, but then it's constantly licking its lips, which is, oh, yeah. you know, just, it's, it's overweight and constantly licking its lips. And it's, it, it, it's portrayed very repulsively in a deliberate way, but in a way that I don't think works. Then we have, and I, I liked the bit where the doctor suggests that maybe the people it's eaten who still have some degree of autonomy Right. Um, maybe they have something to say about it and they cooperate and that's helpful. You know, they're struggling to inhibit the creature and that's nice. Um, but then uh, Ursula, who's been absorbed, tells Elton to break the the cane that Mr. Kennedy has mm -hmm. been carrying. And when she does that, the whole monster just melts. And so here's like the secret vulnerability MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. um, right. I, I thought this was weak writing. The doctor explains that it had some kind of inhibiting field that kept it from falling apart. It's like, why? Why would <laughs> any creature need an inhibiting field to keep it from falling apart? Uh, that's how does not that how work evolution works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so then you have the creature get absorbed, according to the doctor, by the earth. Um, mm -hmm. And and. Ursula's face momentarily starts to reform and says bye bye Elton and it's just very unsatisfying for for this part of the ending and then it gets even more unsatisfying but I'll say right. that for if, if you guys have any comments yeah. about this scene well I, I I agree like the whole idea that the the like the absorber life it doesn't have a name for itself it mm -hmm. requires this limitation field to continue to exist. Like, what is it? Did someone create this in a lab? Uh, you know, it just, it's so, it like, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I, I know that Doctor Who doesn't always have to, like, make perfect sense with things, but it needs to make some sense. Like, it, well, I just, have to buy it, it, it somehow. It had genetic engineering with hand wavium. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, was it vibranium? What, what, did, what was this? Yeah. <laughs> did, did they even establish it was genetically engineered? I thought it was just an inhabitant no, of the planet Clock. Oh, head cannon, you know, I'm just. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, we just had like, the, like they just sort of, we just, they waved their the, hand the at whole, it. And the whole sense of hand wavium. It, they just waved mm -hmm. their yeah. hand and said, yeah, forget about it. You don't need to look there. Right. The idea it dissolves into the ground, you know, okay but the doctor can salvage the the some of them in Not some initially. way right when we don't find that out for a while right um the the but we uh, we'd first get uh, the explanation notice, notice, notice the deliberate irony of the absorbable off being absorbed right mm -hmm. yes uh, we, we do get at this point that the explanation of how the why the doctor met elton when elton was a boy yeah, um, that's my next big bone to pick. Go ahead. Okay, so he says he was hunting a living shadow, which had escaped its home dimension, uh, and and he caught it, but not before it had killed Elton's mother. Now, what, what he escaped from the Howling Halls? Is this a reference to something in Classic Who that I don't know? Uh, this is totally new. So just kind of made up wholesale yeah. right here. What it what it almost is is the Vashtan Arata, but they See, haven't that's what been I was invented thinking. yet. Yeah, see, that's okay. what I was thinking is this was a foreshadowing of them. And maybe an idea for another episode that Davies never got around to making or something. Um, or, or something. But I just get the feeling here that this is just totally tacked on. Yeah. And it's cheap. It's emotionally cheap. And it doesn't make any sense on the narrative level. because the, So what we've been told it thus far is that when he was a boy, Elton went downstairs one night and found the doctor. And that's his, that's his kind of initiating event to the whole sequence of, of, of things that happen with the doctor for him. And then here at the last minute, we discover that that was the night his mom died and his mom was laying there on the floor next to where the doctor was standing. I, okay. So number one problem where we get this montage now about this woman we've never met and don't care about. 
Right. You know, we haven't had anything done to establish her as a presence before right now. It's completely and emotionally manipulative. It's yep. yes, it's, yeah. uh, you know, they haven't done the work they need to to make us have a genuine investment in this woman. So it comes off as cheap emotionalism. Secondly, it makes no sense logically, because if I was a boy and I came down and found a strange man in my house and my mom laying there dead on the floor, mm -hmm. I would remember that those things happened on the same night and I would suspect they were causally connected. Right. And so I, if I were Elton, I would grow up thinking the doctor killed my mom mm -hmm. and they don't go there at all. And of course, they can't because that would ruin the comedic tone if Elton had a revenge justice motive. And so um, it just makes no sense emotionally or narratively. Right, right. It was it, you, you're right. It felt tacked on. It felt like. We we needed to have like that. What they could have done was just have Elton as a boy walking into the garden and finding the doctor there, getting into the TARDIS. Like there's no, there was no reason to have, like there was no reason for the doc for the for his mom to be dead. Like yeah. just the idea of of uh, encountering the doctor who goes into the TARDIS and the, and the TARDIS disappears would mm -hmm. have been enough to have this boy motivated for the rest of his life to find out more about this man, which yeah. is essentially what happens with Amy Pond. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, this mm -hmm. is this is the Amy Pond story again. Uh, the, you know, it gets recycled in a better way. It, right. it, they do it better. Uh, it, and it's just Russell T. Davies d like hand fists it here. And it's just it's well, it, it doesn't it, it work. Almost, it feels like I mean, you look at the end of it. The end is a very dark tone. Yeah, it's a yeah. downer ending we and forget I, because we must, you know, you, because you know, everybody dies. Mm. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. I don't I don't. I don't mind downer endings. In fact, I kind of prefer them to the to the uh, Stephen Moffat last minute happy endings sometimes. <laughs> um, but like Midnight is a downer ending, but right. um, but it's an awesome episode. And but it so earns I, it. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I don't mind downer episodes, and I don't mind in principle that. And this is kind of my third nitpick for the ending. Um, if you're going to kill somebody for dramatic consequences and if you're going to let them stay dead fine but don't bring one of the four people back in this gross head on a cement slab form yes because the doctor says oh i can bring back sort of the most recently absorbed who was absorbed three minutes before mr skinner Right, um, right. You know, I mean, if, if you're going to bring anybody back, bring them all back and, mm -hmm. and bring them and let them be happy and let them be normal humans again. Um, but don't do what you did here, which is neither the downer ending of they all died or the happy ending of they were all saved. This in-between thing, <laughs> we have this gross head on a slab. Well, and then is, they go there, it, which is there. there's a... The Elton says they have they have a relationship, either, even an intimate one. And I'm like, and like that's gross. Like, yeah, that, like that the was that was did wrong. Not need to know that. Yeah, yeah. Th that was I think to me, that was the like sort of that 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 line that just got crossed too far. And and it, it just that was done because for for prurient effect and, and, yeah. and for nothing else there was no need for that and it sort of symbolizes so much of this episode was it just was no need to do this to you know it just it i don't i don't like you like you said jimmy i don't mind if we end up with a with a sad ending or something if we earn it like you know death in the in the library you know with where where a mm. river song you know gives her life although because she's in reverse order it's it's a moffat ending but but there's sort <laughs> of a we earn we do kind of earn that through the we we walk the stages with her through to the end, sort of like a, a way of the cross to that end. We earn that mm -hmm. here. I don't know. It just feels meaningless. These deaths are feel meaningless. Uh, you know, of these nice people who didn't deserve it, and it just. I, I suppose you can have a story like you could tell a story where, you know, you could talk about the uh, the 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 arbitrariness of 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 meaningless deaths. In how in a fallen world that we live in, I guess you could tell that story. I don't. I don't really necessarily want it from Doctor Who, at least not in this form. Well, you know? so I think part of it is Russell T. Davies' worldview is creeping through here, uh, right. because he's an atheist, and that if you're an atheist, it it raises questions about meaning 
in life right. and how do we find meaning? And that's really the driving thing behind um, Elton's final speech about right. salvation and damnation being the same thing. And the war, you know, you have this. And also, I'm, I think it's relevant here. I, Russell T. Davies also happens to be gay. And I think that's part of what is going on in that final speech, too, is he's justifying alternative love relationships. Uh, and he yep. and he talks about how you're given this idea. Elton talks about how you're given this idea that you grow up, you get a job, you get married, you have kids. But in reality, the world yep. is so much darker than that and so mm -hmm. much matter than that and so much better than that and i i think what we have here is a case of russell t davies own personal worldview is is just coming out in this speech so justifying the idea that you know living at the traditional you know uh married couple with kids you know living a a regular suburban life etc cetera, etc cetera, justifying what that that is not necessarily an ideal uh, right. Because that's not the life he lives. Yeah, I, I wanted to get kind of look at that statement. It's it was it was apparently he says it's a quote from Stephen King. Salvation and damnation are the same thing. What what not what, not literally, right? Well, <laughs> what what does it mean? Like, do you have an idea of what that's supposed to mean? I, I think it means that um, having. And I, I think there is a genuine insight here. I wouldn't express it that way, but the genuine insight is that um, when we are in bad situations and are saved from them, uh, we in in our connections with other people, there is a simultaneous um, pleasure and relief, but there's also a weight and a and pain that we carry and that's true in like in a marriage i mean spouses are not always going to agree they're they're gonna there's both a love and there's some pain you know it's the you always mm -hmm. hurt the one you love thing and um and you're always hurt by them <laughs> and and so you can't have one without the other you uh, uh if you want or at least you can't have the the love without the vulnerability and so in any loving relationship, there's a vulnerability that um, that is is going to hurt from time to time. But that doesn't mean it's not worth it. And so right. I think we see that playing out to some degree in the relationships of these characters in the Linda group. Um, you know, they they find love and meaning with each other, but it's only through adversity and and I think that that's a valid statement emotionally about the human experience more broadly. So in, in, in the sense when it says salvation, damnation, it really means suffering. Yeah. Uh, in that. So the quote is originally Pleasure from. and suffering are in, in, inextricably in, intertwined. Uh, right. Um, the, it's, it's from the, uh, Stephen King's book, The Green Mile. And it says sometimes there is absolutely no difference at all between salvation and damnation. And actually that's a big difference. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's no mm -hmm. difference. Right. As opposed to the way uh, Davies puts it which is there is no difference. Correct. Um, um, or they are the same thing. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting distinction that he whether it maybe subconsciously or in a Freudian slip, mm -hmm. you know, changes it. Um, well, and, and putting the, the caveat that Stephen King did originally, it really does change it um where it is talking, you know, we would call it Again, the cross. You know, talk about the way of the cross. You know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yes. Again, understanding salvation, damnation, not in the strict sense of going to heaven versus going to hell, but in the sense of you know joy versus sorrow. Right. Yeah. I, I think, and in fact, I think that's what it, what in that sense. It perhaps I never read the Green Mile, but I, I remember seeing the movie. And, it's a great and book. I, kept, re I really enjoyed it. But anyways, in the movie was great too, and um, and in the context of what I remember. I could see where that would play out is, you know, but it's about a death row inmate mm -hmm. and, and the death row guard. Um, and it, it playing out in that context where, you know, the sort of the, the, the guy on death row is damned in the sense of uh, he's going to go to the, the chair uh, and going to the chair for this guy is the same. Yeah. You know, it's his salvation and his damnation. He's being electrocuted to death. He's receiving capital punishment. 
but that fight that ending that finality is it, it saves him from the continuing suffering in that sense i don't think that's what <laughs> i don't think that's what <laughs> russell t davies even even abstracted is talking about here so interesting um so i guess we come you know come to the end of this you know saying what we started with which is um i i, I think i agree with you jimmy that that I liked this up to about that 30 minute mark where Mr. Kennedy shows up uh, or, or you know, reveals or, himself or reveals himself. Right. I mean, I, I even prefer it to before he shows up, uh, but <laughs> yeah, but when he reveals himself, that's when it falls off the, you know, falls off a cliff um, and just keeps hitting rocks on the way down. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Ow. Oh, ow, oh, <laughs> all the way to the bottom. It's like, like Homer um, Simpson. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think I agree with you. I mean, is there anything else that we that we missed or any uh, you want to give a final uh, reckoning of this episode? Because um, I, I think we covered it pretty well. Um, yeah. You know, to Chris, Chris Chibnall, let's not do this. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <don't> do this. <laughs> yeah. Let's I, the, I, the Dr. Light episodes are good if they're done right. This is yeah, not it, done right. Yeah. Well, Companion Light is 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 better than Dr. Light. And if you do a Dr. Light, look at Blink as your example, not exactly. uh, Love and Monsters. Uh, so I think that's good. Well, I think that's it from us on this episode. I, I want to ask the, the the listener, you know, tell us what you thought. Do, does, is this your favorite? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Uh, do you have a different perspective? We, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so tell us what you think of Love and Monsters. Uh, you know, if you send us an audio feedback, we'd love to play it, uh, you know, during the podcast uh, so others can hear other voices than ours uh, and we can respond. Um, you can do that by making an audio recording, say, on your phone using the voice memo function and emailing it to Who at sqpn.com. Or if you want to just go the old fashioned route and write a comment or type it out, uh, don't write it because you're not going to be able to mail it to us. But type it out mm-hmm. <laughs> at uh, by visiting sqpn.com or going to the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leaving a comment on the post for this show uh, in either of those places. Uh, you can find links to our personal uh, social media and our websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the second Doctor story, uh, the Patrick Troughton story, The Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, as we take a journey through the great enemies of the Doctor. Uh, that's our next big series of uh, of classic Who uh, episodes that we're going to be looking at. So we're starting with the uh, the Cybermen. So uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Always glad to be here. And thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, if there's one thing I really, really love, Jeff Lynn and the Electric Light Orchestra, because you can't beat a bit of ELO. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those... 